anybody here for the workshop? Okay. We, we can have a chair though. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm trying to think how I should do this. Um, hmm. Okay. I have um, some of my business cards. I know for like dogs, I have a therapy dog. So Woody, I have a Facebook page named after him. So if you want to smile, go on the page and check him out. You didn't bring him today? <laughs> no. Right, we could have used him. <laughs> <Even down here. laughs> well, you know, I, I, because I, if you see, I'm on a booth. Oh, no. I, uh, I uh, misdiagnosed his arthritis, but I'm a fraction better possible. So. But anyway, I'm in good shape. So um, I need the exercise. <laughs> Gotta keep in shape. Um, okay, well, thank you very much. Let um, me just get my water. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much for coming to the workshop, bringing the arena, learning to get up again. My name is Robin Miller, and I welcome you. Um, I want to thank everyone for coming today. I want to thank the committee for inviting me to come and to speak about what I'm going to talk about. Um, I never thought that I would be in this position to talk about my experience because you know I am an advocate. I've advocated for people with disabilities. I've been on TV for 21 years on Channel 28 in Shrewsbury. I've won two awards, national awards, for promoting ability in by the National uh, Alliance for Media, uh, Media, and I'm an author, but honestly, in my wildest dreams, I never thought that I would be here today talking about workplace bullying. So this is an eye-opener for me, it's an epiphany, and I look at the universe saying that maybe I'm just meant in this position because since I'm an advocate, why not? <laughs> why not? Um, so, Thank you very much for coming. I am a clinician. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. I am not representing myself as a counselor today, per se. I'm representing myself as me. I'm a mother of a 10-year-old. I'm married 27 years. And I work at Pacific Community College. I teach social problems, which I will be bringing this up to the students in my class. And then I also have part-time private practice, which I trying to get a part-time job because mental health is just not what it used to be in terms of trying to make a living. And then I volunteer for my dog therapy business, Mr. Woody. He does come with me on my sessions. I have to ask every client, are you allergic? And we do go to nursing homes. We've gone to the top open house. And then we're doing a reading program at a school coming up in the fall. So this is Mr. Woody. Okay, so let's begin. Can everybody hear me? Okay. I want to talk about my personal experience through storytelling because just sitting here and just talking is boring. Um, one of the skills that I learned through the TED Talks is tell your story. Be passionate, compassionate, be clear, articulate, and not boring. So I want to talk through that way of method. And also what tools are you are used to heal and to move forward? I'm not giving clinical device, advice. Okay. I just want to make that very clear. Um, I'm just here to show what worked for me, what may work for you, or maybe you heard about it. 
because there's really no one way to recover from trauma. It is unique for every individual. I'm sure that you can agree to that. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about my story. I don't want to get into the details. I want to be very short and sweet. I was looking for a job, part-time job, and I was teaching at a college back then in 2007. I got recruited for this job, though I applied for it earlier, to work part-time as a caregiver for a uh, for-profit entity. I really wanted to leave mental health because working in an agency part-time and trying to reach productivity, it's just clearly impossible. That's a whole nother topic, whole nother conference on healthcare productivity. And I wanted to get out of it and go into in being a care manager because it's profitable. The uh, community's getting older, we're all aging, and it's very lucrative business. Okay, so I went to work for this company who um, paid caregivers eighteen thousand dollars to take care of their loved ones. It's an adult foster care program. Have many people heard of that? Okay, Mass Health. The caregiver has to be on Mass Health. How they got there is another story. But the point is they have to be on mass health. So I was able to work as a licensed mental health, so I wasn't really using my license. I was able to work as a counselor and get paid through the Medicaid, not Medicare, just to make that clear. So I was working part-time for a while. I started in September, December 2007, and I was a contractor. I had to visit people in their home. It was easy productivity because people had to be home to be evaluated about how the caregiver was doing as well as their loved one. They had to be there in order to, for the caregiver to get paid, in order to follow the rules of the program. It was very easy productivity. There were not many no-shows or uh, cancellations, so to speak. So I did, I worked there for a while uh, between December 2007 and December, uh, November 2008, I had three different managers because the company was growing, but I had three different managers. And in that time span, the nurse that worked with me and I, we were really carrying the program in our central mass area because there was so much influx of management. Okay, moving forward, they hired a new manager who had quality assurance background. As soon as I heard she was hired, I knew right away that something was gonna change. I knew something was gonna go on, because I'm very intuitive. So, December, 2008, I met the supervisor, Supervisor X, no names. And, you know, okay, fine, that's fine. She complimented me, the nurse, for carrying this program. She goes, I don't know how you guys did it. You had no supervisor or manager for a few months while this transition was going on, but you guys did an excellent job in making this program stable. Okay, so May 1st of 2009, moving forward, I get a positive evaluation. We met Nome Park. Hey, why not? Didn't have meetings there. Got an A-plus evaluation from her. Well, everything was good. Everything was cool. Thank you. I got a working part-time. So that was it. I was, by then, a not a contractor anymore. I was a salary employee. Just want to make that clear. Okay, now June rolls around. Okay, something terribly, terribly changed. Okay. After we came back from the retreat, the company spent a lot of money, actually they were using federal dollars that they got from the government from payment to go on an exclusive retreat in the Cape. So after that expensive, luxurious retreat they had for us, um, a week after we came back in June, the supervisor asked me 
and my calling, because um, in May, she hired somebody who was 22 years younger than me. Uh, she was Caucasian, but she spoke bilingual, only needed bilingual people. I get that. But the girl, woman, young woman, had no experience. I was supposed to be her coach and mentor. So we're both working along until she tells us she wants to meet with us separately. Okay. We had a feeling what it was because the manager, uh, the supervisor, wasn't a really good communicator. And, uh, you know, you have a lot of regulations that you have to do. I mean, that's the way it is. So, you know, you have to tell your kids they have to do a certain process every night, put their notes in the computer to get paid, blah, 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 blah. So, um, so apparently one of the caregivers didn't get paid, and she, I guess she got really upset at the supervisor. And as they say, shit rolls downhill. Obviously, she wanted to meet with both of us <laughs> to figure out what was going on. So I had an idea what the meeting was about. I just thought it would be a meeting that we work it out, move on, as I say, kiss and make up and go on, apologize for the mistake, go on. Well, it wasn't that way. The young lady met with the supervisor before me. I met with her, and right away, as soon as I sat down, her tone changed, she got her face turned red, her neck turned red, all of a sudden these veins were popping out of her neck. I could take a picture, I wish I could have taken a picture. She was furious at me. One of the first things she says to me, how come you can't follow my instructions? What's wrong with you? I am, uh, I am insisting that you tell me why this caregiver couldn't get paid, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry there was a mistake. I apologize. I'm sorry that the process that you felt me and my other colleague weren't doing wasn't working out. I apologize, and I'll make sure it never happens again. Well, do you think that would have kept her quiet? No. She kept insisting. Her face was getting redder and redder, and those veins, if veins can pop out of your neck when you get mad, I wish, <laughs> maybe in the future that will, but they got more enlarged. And I'm like, what is going on here? So I felt like she was treating me like a three-year-old, and um, you know, it's just the way she was just talking to me, like a three-year-old. And I finally said, you know, I, I, well, thank you very respectfully. I said, I don't feel you're respecting me. I feel like you're treating me like a child. I, you know, please respect me. I would like you to respect me, I have to respect you. She says, I don't have to respect you, you have to respect me. And she then she accused me of being insubordinate. I'm like, oh. And she goes, I'm gonna talk my director about you. So when I left that meeting, I was like, what just happened to you? Everybody ever get that feeling? It's like, I went from a, a nice, peace of mind to like this thunderstorm going on, tornado thing. Nothing was terribly wrong. But I met my colleague at Burger King and I asked how the meeting went. She said, oh, it was wonderful. She coached me, she mentored me, told me I was doing a fantastic job. And I was like, well, I didn't get that. So I spoke to the director the next day and I said, you know, I'm concerned about how Supervisor X is treating me. She goes, well, I'm more concerned that you're not following her directions and how she's treating you. And I told human resources, and they said the same thing to me. And I said, wow, something has drastically changed. And then the counsel that I was seeing at the time said, your boss is going to make your life difficult. Watch out. So we progressed and moved forward. We meet in, um, again, July rolls around. Again, the same thing about, gee, still accusing me of not doing my job. In um, July 11th, after we met in June, I got a letter of warning saying that I was, I was in subordination because 
I spoke bad to her. I spoke negative to her disrespectfully. And then I said, I'm not signing it. They said, well, you have to sign it. I said, fine. I don't agree with this evaluation. That was it. I signed it. I don't agree with it. And then I was telling the director and human resources who came to my surprise, I said, how can I work with this woman? She's not treating me right. Didn't care. Fell on deaf ears. Fell on deaf ears. So I was definitely in for a battle. And then when I was telling my mother about it, she said, she's bullying you. Watch out. You got to figure out what to do. I didn't, at the time, what, what was going on, I didn't know what to call it. You know, when you're in this space of being put down, made fun of, humiliated, you don't know what's going on. You're like in deja vu. It's like, what is going on here? Okay, so, middle, um, third week in July, um, Monday through Thursday, nine o'clock at night, we had blackberries. Remember the blackberries? Well, now they're dinosaurs. Crackberries. Blackberries, they're dinosaurs. Right. <laughs> um, remember those? So, I remember Monday through Thursday after 9 o'clock, she would start texting me. Never did this before, mind you. And she says, I want you to tell the caregivers to put their notes in the computer, because the caregivers had to put their notes in the computer every night about how they took care of the, their loved one. Okay? That's how they got paid. Everybody get that? But some of them, remember, these are adults who are caregivers. They didn't do it till the end of the week. She wanted me to call them up after 9 o'clock and insist that they put their notes <laughs> So Monday through Thursday, she kept texting me. She said, you're not doing the job. You're not following my directions. And my husband was like, what is it with your boss? Why is she texting you after 9 o'clock at night? What did she expect you to call people at midnight and say you to put your notes in? So she wrote me up for that. So that was incident number two, okay? All right, moving on. Um, the end of July, I get a call at home. You know, remember the time they had the phone where they say this person's trying to reach you, but they don't have it anymore? Did anybody remember that through Verizon? If somebody had to reach you, they said, oh, this person would like to talk to you. I don't know, that was 10 years ago, they don't have it anymore. My husband gets a call and says, oh, this woman wants to talk to Robin. And my husband says, well, who is this person? So I got on the phone and it was a caregiver. And I was horrified saying, why is she calling me at home? She has my number on the Blackberry. I on the business call, why is this lady calling me? So I said, okay, she wanted to change, she wanted to Went to our house, okay, moving forward. Went to the house, totally black, no windows open. It's like going in a horror movie. 90 degrees, 100% humidity. So I calmly asked her, I said, I said, okay, if you put the light on so I can write my notes. I can't write my notes in this document. Okay, maybe now you can put it on the cell phone and put it on audio. I said, it's a, okay, open up just a window. I have allergies. And she goes, okay. Well, we had a meeting, and then at the end I said, um, how did you get my phone number? And she took out a card. She says, your supervisor put your home phone number on your card. Because my supervisor had a copy of the card. Oh, okay, thank you. I was very calm. Okay. Week later, going toward August, my younger colleague called me. She goes, well, now I have that family. I'm like, what happened? What happened? So August 11th, I meet with the supervisor. And again, HR is there and the director. And I'm like, oh, what is going on here? More punches to the face. That's how I felt. I felt my face was from all these psychic punches going to me. And then she says, well, we're letting you go. Wasn't a good fit. And my supervisor looks at me and says, how dare you treat that family? 
And I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? And she says, well, you humiliated that woman, you were nasty to that woman. I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, that woman that you visited, the caregiver, said that you yelled at her for not having the windows open, you yelled at her for not having the light, and you yelled at her for having your phone up. And I said, that's not true. I don't know what you're talking about. So, just so happened, the caregiver had, a, had some mental health issues. So, I got fired. As soon as I left the door, she smiles, picks up the phone, and gives the young person the job. She had an agenda. Moving forward. Okay, I had a broken heart. I, I, like I said, being in that space, I felt like my heart enlarged three times. I felt the work has been pulled for me. Like, you don't know what's going on here. It happened so fast. I didn't know where to go, because when you're in as the Western culture, we tend to want to have some sense of direction. Do we go to the left? Do we go to the right? Prima Coldren says, who's a spiritualist, Buddhist say, why not just go in the center? Oh, we, tend, we want to find some place to go, correct? That's what we do when we're uncomfortable. Either we want to hide under the table like animals do, or we want to do something. Okay, that's how I felt. Where do I go? I was angry that my treasure was gone. I don't mean the, literally the treasure. That an opportunity to make more money as a caregiver and eventually open up my own business was coming to an end. Because in order to run your own care management business, if you get certified, you have to work at an agency for two years. So my opportunity to work a lucrative career, I didn't know just do money, I did because I like it, was gone. So now I gotta go back into mental health, and I'm like, oh, man. So I ended up, I got a part-time job, which I'll get into more. While I was in that space, I was looking for a pathway. What do I do, what do I do, what do I do? You know, I'm too embarrassed to tell anybody. I mean, yes, I had a supportive husband. I had very close friends with clinicians. I just had a look and went somewhere. I also had these raw emotions. I had anger and rage and sadness and anxiety and shame. I, I, I never really felt this way, but I was able to understand how it is for people who get violated. I understood what, how that felt, where you're in that raw emotion. You don't know where to go, and you feel so alone and isolated. That was the first time I've ever been in this stage of mind. Then I wanted to crawl under the rock. Now, I wanted to crawl on the rock where I felt like I was in the arena. I felt alone, dark, embarrassed, a sore face, so to speak, from getting punched. I mean, really, my face was like moaning at times after I left those meetings with her. And, you know, and how could I admit to myself that I lost the battle? Um, because really, this is the first time that I, that I felt so angry at this supervisor. I mean, granted, my family's in the Bronx, born in Queens. We're used to taking care of things ourselves in a nice way, defending <laughs> ourselves. But this is the first time that I felt helpless because she got me so angry that the only, you know, she just got under my skin, you know. And of course, being an adult professional, the best I could have done was be assertive, but that didn't work, because that was considered insubordination. But it was a struggle for me to actually lose a battle like this where it was so obvious that she was being rude to me and not nice. So I was figured, what do I do in this arena? How do I get rescued? I was looking for somebody to rescue me, you know. 
I was looking for an epiphany. I was looking for something to fall from the sky. I don't know. I just felt really weird. I had all these mixed emotions going on. And of course, um, I had to delay my grieving because I was grieving. I had a terrible loss. It was a terrible loss to me. Because during that summer, my husband and I were going to adopt. And of course, adoption parents have to be perfect where you always say everything is sweet and loving. And that's what we had to do. Everything's going good. We're good. Because else we wouldn't be able to adopt. The bar's very high. We should be. But we didn't want to say anything. We didn't put any doubt in the lawyer's mind that we went after parents. So a week after I got fired, it was the uh, 18th. I got a call on Friday. I'm sorry, the 11th. I got a call on Friday of the 23rd saying there's a kid, a baby boy needs an adoption. Even in Indiana, biracial parents. I said, great. Perfect opportunity. I'm out of work. I mean, yes, I still have a part-time job and a part-time practice, but we took the opportunity. And, but in, the, in a period of time, I had to really delay my grieving because I was overcome by joy and I thought maybe the universe was trying to tell me something. That there's more to life than a job having a new, adopting a child is, is joy. It's a higher level of being. So I was starting to, to focus on that. Though I was still in pain, I was still uncomfortable, I was just beside myself. But I had divert all my energy to my, to my baby. I had a baby and I still had to file a complaint to MCAD, which I did. I did in August before I left and I had to do the rebuttal a month after I came home with my child do that. So try to raise a baby and fill out the rebuttal, which was very painful to do because I had to hire an attorney. Uh, it was very, very emotional and difficult for me. So for the fall of 2009 to 2010, I worked two part-time jobs. I did collect unemployment partial, suffered major financial distress, behind on my bills. Unfortunately, it screwed my credit rating, which happens when a lot of people get workplace bullying. They lose their job, can't pay the bills, and right away, they um, destroy your credit rating and the interest on your credit cards go way up. It's an unfortunate um, reality. Still had these raw emotions with me. I was now going to therapy, being a new parent and following along with the MCAD complaint and enjoying my son. In 2011, I finally got the verdict. Case unfounded. Took them two years because they're understaffed. They said that even though I was right, in the right to be assertive with my supervisor and how she treated me. The supervisor still had the right to treat me the way for poor work and performance. Therefore, the case was unfounded. I had a nurse as a witness and she completely turned out. So she's the one who told me she's treating me like a child. Why is she doing this? But it was a witness and she said, oh, Barbara never followed any direction. She had worked. She was a, a bad employee. So I'm like, Whoa, like, wow, that was awful. So in early 2012, there's a typo there, I received a new therapist who emphasized with me about losing my case. And then she said, well, maybe you weren't meant to be a caregiver. Maybe that's not where your path is. Maybe the universe is trying to tell me something. And then I had the ha-ha moment, the light bulb went off. Granted, it's been two years, had the baby, I was there working for another job, another mental health agency, again with productivity, never liked it. But I said, yeah, maybe there's something at the end of the tunnel that the universe is trying to tell me and I just don't see it. So that was 
that was uh, the ha-ha moment for me. And then I found this quote that said, to let go of something is not to throw it away. It is to step outside of it. So its shadow, so of its shadow, so that so many things may be seen in a different light. And then I thought of the situation about how I needed to step out of it. I needed to get out of that space of all poor me. So I can see it in a different light. And then, to live in this way is to resemble a cloud floating alive and able to move freely in each dynamic minute. So I looked at it saying, it don't, the trauma that I encounter no longer owns me. Okay, but that's easier said than done. Because the mind doesn't forget. So how did I climb out of this? Stepping outside of it, looking at it in a different way. Oh, I had to stop blame. In order to move forward, I needed to stop barking or uh, spraying like a sound. I just had to stop blaming myself for going through this and stop blaming what happened. Then I had to own my story, rewrite my ending, and use my truest talents and gifts. Now back then, I didn't know those exact wording until I read Brene's Balance But I had to now own my story. I had to take responsibility for what has happened, and then I can change the ending. Easier said than done. But in order to move forward, I had to use my truest talent to give them. Yes? I, just want, I don't want to take too much time, but when you say stop blaming, do you mean stop blaming the supervisor too, or? Both. I had to stop blaming myself for feeling sorry for myself and stop blaming for what has happened. Because, so maybe I'm just not saying this right, but for me that feels unhealthy not to put some responsibility onto her. No, I needed to stop blaming this, what has happened and just accept that it has happened and I'm no longer angry about it, that I'm ready to move on. Okay, so you released the emotion, not, yes. the, not the thought that she was wrong. Right. Okay, right. so, thank you for yes. So you're, you're also just not directing your energy towards figuring that out. You're directing it to um, healing yourself. Yes. Is it, yeah. Yes. But also, being a mom. I had to find a new treasure. So this is what I did. I had to find my passion, found my why. I found the Facebook page in 2012. I was looking on Facebook. I didn't even know it was out there. See, I felt so alone and embarrassed and shame. I like, am I the only one? Of course not. But then I found it. I said, I'm no longer alone. I became a social justice advocate for this. Like I said, I've been a disability advocate, now the advocate now. Unbeknownst to me, now it's time to become a social justice advocate. I educated my son how to protect himself from bullies. And then I wrote and published children's books. And then I wanted to share as a clinician and a citizen, a resident, a mom, how to share and how I emphasize what it is. So I'm transforming myself. These are the books that I wrote. Um, keeps me sane. I have two more books coming up, hopefully, that can be approved. So then I looked at it, what was the spiritual lesson? I really, I heard The Alchemist in my car, uh, the DVD. And um, again, this is not quoted, quote, 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 this is my interpretation. It would be nice if The Alchemist was written for women. This was, was written for a boy, uh, the boy. And it says, when you want to reach your new dreams, the universe will conspire with you to achieve it in a positive way. Because those two years that I was holding those emotions and holding the trauma, blah, 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 nothing positive really came except financial distress. 
The only thing that kept me going, obviously, was my marriage, my, my baby. That kept me going. Until that moment I had with a therapist that said, time to move on. Then I felt the obstacles that came were teachable moments. I had to follow my heart. And that I found the path that I am in now is better than I was before. I'm not making as much as that I would have liked back then, before my kid was born. Um, but my income's going up little by little. Um, and I like what I'm doing. And another thing is that when I was working at an agency three years ago, four years ago, I had a supervisor, clinical director, try to bully me through email. And I'm like, <laughs> so took what I learned about, I wrote email back politely and told her blah, 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 very respectful, and she apologized. So that experience taught me how I could be a servant in a nice way. So um, I've learned to move on. I've learned that um, if I was going to stay stuck in my ways, I wasn't going to go anywhere. I wasn't. I was moving. And everybody, in terms of their path, um, you know, either you find a new path or you continue on your path. For me, I was finding a new path of the different talents that I know I had by writing, being a good mom, volunteering, having a therapy dog. That was new to me. So I had all these new ideas, new opportunities come along. But I think we have to credit ourselves for those who have survived workplace bullying or going through it now. And I'm going to just read you the quote that I have in a more general form by Theodore Roosevelt. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong man stumbles or where the doer of the deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotion, spreads himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place should never be with those cold and timid souls who neither knew victory nor defeat. So I use this as a way to transcend from that experience and I tell people that I work with or I see that you're somebody who is daring greatly to still go to work and to try to survive, but even though it may not work out, at least to know that you went in the best of your ability, doing the best you can under the trying circumstances, and that you can come out, you may be bruised a little bit, but at least you know you tried and there's a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the growth that can come from it. recommend um, Rising Strong. That's a good book. Is Daring that, Greatly. Is that also by her? Yes. Okay. Rising Strong, Daring Greatly. Um, Dare to Lead. I mean, it, she has a lot of the same yeah. things, but yeah. to, and Dare to Lead is one in business. See, I used that book to help explain what was going on, obviously. 
but again, we'll talk in a couple of years later. And now I'm able to use a concept of thinking and how I explain things now. I just didn't know about owning the story. I just know I had to change. So um, um, regarding owning my story, I had to accept what has happened and that there was no going back. Because if I'm not moving, then no positive energy will come out of this. That I had to take the lessons and share my story. That's how I look at it. Thank you. Yes. Uh, the thing about healing transcending, I think it's also a danger of healing too fast. I mean, the light of the tunnel could be another train, too. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, like, you want to heal it so fast because you don't want to suffer for a while. I think there has to be a timing. You have to kind of suffer with the suffering mm -hmm. because you're not really ready to make the next move. You got to sort of sit with it for a while and not maturely. It's like, oh, I got another solution. I got another guru or somebody else is going to save me. I think you have to sit with the suffering, not enjoy it, but sit with it and let things come to you and not rush to well, for two years I didn't have to delay, and then 2011, after I got the finding and I went to therapy, I did. I was able to process it. I finally was able to talk about it openly. Yes. Well, so he reminds me of something. I went to a career counselor after being really bullied, and um, the, I started speaking about what had happened, and only just really talking about it, and 